Hi, my name is Jamin. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Late, Late to, to the, the Watch, Watch Party. Party. Shh. The movie's starting. Hey guys, welcome back to Late to the Watch Party. Thank you so much for tuning back in, or if Fight Club wasn't really your thing and you tuned in for this episode, welcome for the first time. This week we are watching Mrs. Doubtfire, a movie in which neither Rebecca nor I have seen. And so, very exciting. That's the first the first uh, three movies that we will be watching play out that way, of Rebecca nor I have seen them. Rebecca, how's your week been? Pretty good. I feel like Fight Club changed my life in a weird way, where, you know, <laughs> you know, a movie that just, like, makes you really self-aware of, like, society and, like, where is humanity going? That's kind of how I feel like I was in a little bit of a existential crisis after watching Fight Club just a little bit. And the last week has been pretty good. My show is finally opening on Wednesday, so I've been through tech and dress and all that fun stuff the last week and then just been working when I'm not in the show with... This is Jamin from the future. In this next segment, Rebecca will go on to tell a story at the birthday party of one of the children she nannies and she drops that child's name numerous times and we decided post-recording that that was maybe not the most appropriate thing to include that information and so we have bleeped out the child's name but the story will persist and so... Just be aware of that going into this next segment. Thanks. Uh, at my nanny job, I had her first birthday this past week. So she is one years old. She's a real kid now. Um, very wow. cute. Big milestone for sure. And I was like, oh, it'll be like a cute, like, you know, a one-year-old birthday party. Like all the other, you know, like baby birthday parties that I've been to have been like at a park and they get some balloons and then they like let the, the kid eat cake for the first time and it's like very chill and it's mostly like the parents hanging out and a bunch of little kids running around. They went all out for Abba's birthday party. They had it catered. They've got this house that's like very company friendly so they like had the pool open and people were like swimming in the pool and people were like hanging out on the deck. Their, the inside was flooded with presents that little girl got so many presents i'm so excited to basically have all new toys as her nanny to play with her now and they got like they had it catered Mm -hmm. they had a bartender there like it was the real deal and i showed up in leggings and a tank top on my way to my dnd session and i felt severely underdressed they hired a bartender for their one-year-old's birthday party interesting (laughs) <laughs> taking that information uh-huh, in. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Jamin, how has your week been? <sighs> so much happened. First and foremost, I watched through Heartstopper. I don't know if I can actually properly discuss it because I think that so much of my enjoyment of it just came from like me connecting with the material. And so maybe the show is really bad. I don't know. Uh-uh. And I just don't care. <laughs> it was so... <laughs> I had already, I had watched, like, the first two episodes spaced out, and then, like, in a single evening, I, like, ordered a pizza, and I watched the rest of the season, and it was so, I cried, I laughed, I, like, giggled in embarrassing ways in, like, pure joy. It was just so wonderful to see. I went back to my hometown this past weekend to attend uh, one of my really good friends from high school's wedding, 
rolled up a minute before it was supposed to start and they had already they locked the doors <laughs> they said you cannot get in after Late 3 p.m welcome call someone you know and they can come let you in you think i'm gonna call someone in the middle of a ceremony i sent texts to so many different people and i'm out there with the bride's like grandfather who got there like several minutes late. I was not technically late. He was several minutes late with a card. And he's just like standing there with his cane looking real sad. I texted multiple people. I was like, guys, it's just me and an old man out here. And he's sad. And it was like her aunt or something who came and like opened the door for him. And I was like, I can come in too, right? And then I ran in, snatched a seat in the back row just in time for like the vows that poor grandfather. Dude, it was distressing. I mean, he made it. He made it, But too. that's still so um, I mean, sad. I left him in the dust once I got in there. <laughs> um, so, like, maybe he made it for the kiss. I don't know. Oh. He had to use a walker. If I miss this ceremony, whatever. But if he misses this ceremony, I won't forgive you guys. I will not. <laughs> Justice for this grandfather. <laughs> So that whole wedding happened. It was kind of, it was just very nice and refreshing. It was truly like everyone who attended was someone who's like actively already like in that area. And I was one of the only like out of towners. And so it was kind of like character who left the show so many seasons ago makes their big return. Like everyone wanted to talk so to me. Being back in. Everyone said, everyone was like, oh my gosh, Jimin, your hair is so long. Guys, my hair has been long. since. Like, for the last, other than a stint after I shaved my head, it's like, my hair has been long since I was, like, 18. This isn't, like, a new... Uh, your hair was long like, when I met you. New style. I don't know why everyone had something to say about it, and so many people were like, I swear you've gotten taller. I hope to God not. <laughs> it, that's because, I. Th that's probably because since you've lost weight, like that's you true. look longer, that's true. you know what I mean? Proportionately. Just, just to toot my own horn, guys, since this time last year I have lost 40 pounds. Thank you, studio audience. Oh my god. I was not expecting this. How did he do it? I'm having my trip back home in now less than a week. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be wild. There's a, gonna be a full episode, maybe even two, who knows, where Rebecca and I are like physically in the same location to do the podcast. It's gonna be crazy. Have we been in the same location since no, I graduated? Not knowingly. I don't think so. Do I need to bring gifts when home for people? <laughs> Is that a thing? No. When has that been a thing? What's the occasion? Only thing left to do is to get into our preconceived notions for Mrs. Doubtfire. So if you are someone who is not interested in spoilers and maybe wants to watch the movie so that you can partake in the discussion, now is your time to put it on pause. You can go to tubi.com <laughs> slash Mrs. Doubtfire. Slash. Is that how you get to it? Just, um, just. Let me put that into my browser well, right now and guys, see if that works. Guys, just Google Mrs. Doubtfire and the Tubi um, link will pop up. Okay, it is a little bit more complicated than Tubi.com slash Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> it's 
tubytv.com slash movie slash 65819 slash Mrs. Dash Doubtfire question mark start equal true. Rebecca, stop. You can cut that right Rebecca, nobody (laughs) is going to listen to that. Google? (laughs) Guys, the whole moral of the story is go check out Mrs. Doubtfire. If you are just uninterested entirely, but you for some reason want to hear our thoughts, we will give a recap. Um, And for those of you that have already seen it, let's get right into our preconceived notions and you'll get to hear us react to the movie. For the things you know and the things you think you know, these are the preconceived notions. All right, this is the preconceived notions part, everybody, where we talk about what we do or do not know going into the movie. I guess we don't talk about what we don't know. But, Jamin, what do you know about Mrs. Doubtfire going into this movie? What are your preconceived notions? What I know about Mrs. Doubtfire comes from kind of across the board. I saw, like, commercials for it as a kid, and I know, obviously, that Robin Williams is in it, and he disguises himself as a woman, So for the listeners, I've muted Rebecca so she doesn't get spoiled. But I know based on... Here, wait. I think this will be funnier is if I just mute myself for the pivotal moments. So I know that he disguises himself as a woman. And then because Mrs. Doubtfire is being turned into a Broadway show, I've heard some of the music from that. And I learned that there is a divorce that happens and he disguises himself as the nanny like a new nanny to like still raise his kids which is precious but it's like I thought that there was like a spy element happening but maybe I was just thinking of of the pacifier I'm not too sure about that and I know the the meme that's like help is on the way dearie help is on the way (laughs) and i i know that it's like a fun comedy. Rebecca, what do you know going in? Maybe it's what i already knew and i just told you in secret. Should i also mute myself and then when you go back and edit this you're going to find out that we knew exactly the same things going in. All right, so the things that i know about or have been exposed to about Mrs. Doubtfire is that so i know that Robin Williams is in it obviously. <laughs> Um, and I know that, uh, he is disguised as a woman or is playing a woman. I I think it's actually a plot point that he is disguised as a woman. And I think he's a nanny in it. Um, I also know the part that's like, help is on the way, dear. Help is on the way. Um, that's pretty much it. I think, yeah, a bunch of my friends were allowed to watch this movie and I was not specifically so i'm excited to see what is in this movie i want to make predictions i think i think that i think that the movie is going to turn out to be i think that the movie might turn out to be problematic in an like it might have not aged too well in regards to like transgender people and that i think it might make a lot of like man dressed as a woman jokes Mm mm-hmm I don't, I don't think it'll make specifically, like, like transgender jokes. I just don't think people were talking about it at the time. But I think we might find that some of the humor is a little, like, ooh. <laughs> that does yeah, not hit I, the I same mean, as it like maybe did with, in the 90s. 
with pretty much any comedy that's made in the 90s, there are going to be elements that did not age well. Um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be a very heartwarming movie, although I'm just basing that off the fact that it's Robin Williams and, like, America loved him. I don't know. I, I don't really know where this movie is going to go. I think, that's my prediction, is that I think it's going to be bigger than we expect. I think that there's probably a key plot element that we're both missing that's going to make the plot a little bit larger than we expect. Mm. But I don't know it to be so. I feel like, honestly, my expectation for it is that it's just going to be basically the parent trap, but with Robin Williams as a part of the shenanigans. Is Mrs... I'm assuming that Mrs. Doubtfire is just like he dresses up as the lady and like that's her name that's what i'm assuming it just it feels like a very specific name it just feels like there's got to be some meaning there it's one of those that i feel like regardless of whether or not i was allowed to watch it there was a lot of like i saw a lot of commercials for it as a kid but i wasn't like super hooked by the premise as a kid and so it's not that i'm not excited for it it's an iconic movie but i wasn't like ever so itching to watch it so i'm just kind of like i haven't formulated a bunch of like i wonder what that movie could be like I did want to watch it when I was younger because my friends were allowed to watch it and I was not allowed to watch it. It was one of mm. it was one of the off-limit movies for me. So I'm like what I mean I will, I'll find out when we get into the movie but like I'm almost certain that the entire reason that I didn't get to watch it is because it's a man dressed as a woman. I'm absolutely certain that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe there's extra content I don't know about but it's like I know that was the exact reason that when they came out with the Hairspray movie, I couldn't watch that either. It was that John Travolta was dressed as the mom. Yes. I was actually talking about this with my aunt and I used, um, I used Hairspray as the example of like yeah. why we weren't allowed to watch Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire in three, two, one, play. Plot twist. It's an animated movie. Oh, what is going on? I, I forgot I have to, to take, take notes. notes. <laughs> this is like the most 90s soundtrack. That's Matilda. I love how that 12-year-old kid was like, strippers? They were like, best party ever. Uh, <gasps> language. Wow. I'm tearing up right now. Wow. This is an unfortunate haircut in Robin Williams' timeline. This was advertised as a kid's movie. I've heard two cusses. That is the third cuss! No wonder this girl got Matilda. She's full of personality. Remember when you could just go down to the job store and order one job, please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he doesn't have a winner smile. That smile was the most, like, staged blocking I've ever seen. <laughs> the real miracle there is that he could afford that place without a job. That is the fifth cuss. I'm keeping a tally. Euphen, Euphen, you, what is her name? Euphenajaya? Euphenajaya? It reeks of taste. It reeks of taste. It's a strip tease. This is a horror movie. This is too much hijinks. She tipped him a $1.73 on a $138 dinner. That bus driver would make a great husband. How is this a kid's movie? He just flipped him off. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire said, eat the rich. Oh, he's gonna get drunk. Get drunk. 
Hey, it's the 90s. We're all whores here. <laughs> How did they turn out, bros? How did that situation end like that? Mrs. Doubtfire's show is Andy Circus Slander. I was just gonna make the joke that they listed off every conceivable family except a gay one. <laughs> I, when she said, I really. When she said one daddy, I thought it was gonna be like, or two, and then just yeah, floating I was like, straight by it. They were just like, ah, oh, it didn't come up. <laughs> Weird. Oh, we didn't think of that one. <laughs> it's like I mean, they I'm were crying, walking but that down. was. It, they really listed everything, but. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. All right, welcome back, everybody. It is, well, you just listened to our preconceived notions and the reactions, right? We have all watched the movie. We have arrived at the same destination. <laughs> that is so crazy. Are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> we've all seen the movie. We've seen the doubt. We've seen the fire. What a journey that it was. It was a little disconnected just because of the app we were having to use kept hitting us with ads but we did have a bizarre experience where for no reason at all at one point our ads synced up on each end and so they would hit at the exact same time before we get into the main discussion for this week this is a little different than what we did last week we've decided we'll alternate um who does the trivia and who does the recap rather than one person doing both that way you don't have to listen to either one of us talk for just too long. So I specifically prepared the trivia for this one. I tried yes. to pick things that were interesting to me. A, a big continuing line is that Robin Williams, the king of improv, was given a lot of free reign to improvise in this movie. Mm. And so a lot of the trivia is just being like, Robin Williams improvised that. And he improvised that too. They actually barely wrote a script. Some well, it's so let's get into it. The first thing I wrote down was according to director Chris Columbus, Robin Williams improvised so much that there were PG, PG thirteen, and R rated edits of the film. Though the film was always intended to be released as PG thirteen. Did you know it was PG thirteen? I did not know that. It was PG fucking thirteen. I mean, after watching the movie, that doesn't surprise me. But going into it, I was definitely thinking kids' movie. I barely even knew it was PG going in. So that was kind of... There's a lot to discuss there. So Chris Columbus was amazed at how far Robin Williams took his performance. First, he played each scene as scripted two to three times. And then he was allowed to improvise or quote-unquote playing, as Williams called it. Columbus allowed Williams a lot of improvisation because that was where the film's funniest material would come from. In fact, Columbus called it magical at times. And he would film Robin Williams with three cameras at once because he could never predict where he was going to go next with it. And he wanted to always make sure he was capturing the acting. He compared it to filming a documentary. They had so much footage and such different footage because of how constantly there was improv that editing the movie together was like creating it from scratch. Like it was hard to like hold a, a like actual plot to it. It That's was insane. wild. So then 
during an example of this is that during the scene when Mrs. Selner, um, just so you guys know, that's the like caseworker lady, Mrs. Selner comes to inspect Daniel's apartment and Daniel slash Mrs. Doubtfire is serving her tea, the icing on his slash her face is melting off. This was not intentional. The heat from the set lights melted the icing on his face and Robin Williams improvised the bulk of that scene. Wow. Originally, Stu Dunmire was going to be the villain and was going to be an arrogant, snobbish, and dislikable person and that he was secretly going to have Lydia, Chris, and Natalie sent away to military school so that he could have Miranda to himself. But when Pierce Brosnan was cast, the character was rewritten and was more likable and caring and more suited to Pierce Brosnan's personality. The only thing about the character from the original script that remained was Stu calling Daniel a loser at the swimming pool. Everything else was brand new. Wow. Which, we'll get into it in my review, but I think that that shows. (laughs) I think the fact that they rewrote him to basically lose everything interesting about him um, is obvious. (laughs) so spoiler alert for my thoughts on that part of the movie this is this is something that kind of shook me to my very core tim allen was offered the role of both mrs doubtfire and daniel hillard and Stu denmeyer but he rejected both but the fact that they offered it to mrs to tim allen the mrs doubtfire role throws me off because it just shows, I guess, that Robin Williams really was given a lot of freedom here because the role is done in such a way that I was like, they wrote this movie with him in mind. Mm-hmm. But what I'm finding out is that this was not a breakout role for Robin Williams. He had been on the scene for like a decade at this point. But like before this, he had done Aladdin. He had done Hook. He hadn't done like a whole lot of like character stuff mm-hmm. like this. He like he hadn't done like the like the genie doing all of the different voices was like seemingly based on what I saw from his filmography like a newer thing that maybe led to him getting this role, and so instead of this, a lot of voices. Oh, sorry, spoilers for Aladdin. Yeah, the genie does a lot of voices. Oh, okay. So this was like very new. Mm -hmm. This is the last fact I wrote down because I think it's very interesting. Um, The producers fired the original screenwriter because of an unhappy ending where the parents do not get back together. After several rewrites with a different happy ending, they realized that the original ending was in fact better because they did not want to create the illusion that divorced parents will eventually get back together. They rehired the original writer and went back to that ending. That that original writer is a better man than I. How do you just do that? How Like, I would have bad blood, personally. That writer pulled what Daniel pulled in the very beginning of the movie, where he was like, this is my moral stance, and then walked out with his head held high. It's I like that they went that far with it, though. That very much feels that, like, that's in service of the story then, rather than, like, yeah. but people want a happy ending, because, like, they didn't change their minds because they did a test screening and people responded negatively to a happy ending. Mm-hmm. They just were like, these endings just simply don't work for the story like the original does, and so we want to go with that ending. Yeah. I think that that's really... Good for him. ...impressive on their part. Go producers. I don't know who they are, and I don't care that's all of my trivia rebecca would you like to give us the recap of everything that happened in mrs doubtfire yes for those of you who haven't seen this since your childhood or maybe you just watched it along with us on tubi tv.com 
Uh, let's recap the movie. Daniel Hillard is a voice actor and a devoted father to three children living in San Francisco. One day, Daniel quits his job following a disagreement over a morally questionable script and returns home to throw his son a chaotic birthday party, despite his wife's objections. This infuriates her to the point where she files for divorce. At their first custody hearing, the court grants sole custody of the children to Miranda, that's the wife, and shared custody is contingent on whether Daniel finds a steady job and a suitable residence within three months. Deeply saddened by being separated from his children, Daniel works to rebuild his life, securing himself an apartment and a new job at a TV station. He learns that Miranda is seeking a housekeeper, and he secretly alters her ad form, then calls, posing as a series of undesirable applicants. He then finally calls as Mrs. Eugenia Doubtfire, a British-accented nanny with strong credentials. Miranda is impressed and invites Mrs. Doubtfire for an interview. Daniel, with help, creates a Mrs. Doubtfire costume, including a prosthetic mask to make him appear as an older woman. Miranda hires Mrs. Doubtfire, and the children begin to thrive under her care. However, this later creates another barrier for Daniel to see his children because Miranda trusts Mrs. Doubtfire more than him and cannot bring herself to dismiss her. Lydia and Chris, Daniel's two oldest children, later discover that Mrs. Doubtfire is actually Daniel, but they agree to keep his secret. One day, after impressing the TV station CEO, Jonathan Lundy, Daniel is invited to discuss his plans for a new show over dinner, which turns out to be at the same place and time as a birthday dinner for Miranda planned by her new boyfriend, Stu, to which Mrs. Doubtfire has been invited. Unable to change either appointment, Daniel attends both, changing in and out of the Mrs. Doubtfire costume. Daniel slips up when he accidentally returns to Lundy as Mrs. Doubtfire, but he quickly claims that Mrs. Doubtfire is his idea for the new show. Stu chokes on his dinner after Daniel tampered with his meal, and Daniel, feeling guilty, administers the Heimlich maneuver as Mrs. Doubtfire. The action causes the prosthetic mask to partially peel off Daniel's face, revealing his identity and horrifying Miranda, who storms out of the restaurant with the kids. At their next custody hearing, the judge, believing Daniel's passionate plea to be an acting performance and finding his stunt as Mrs. Doubtfire unorthodox, grants Miranda full custody of the kids, which devastates Daniel. Miranda and her children become miserable, acknowledging how much Mrs. Doubtfire improved their lives, and they are then surprised to discover that Daniel, as Mrs. Doubtfire, is hosting a new nationwide hit children's show. Miranda visits Daniel on the set after filming and admits that things were better when he was involved with the family. She arranges joint custody, allowing Daniel as himself to take the children after school. As Daniel leaves with the kids, Miranda watches an episode of Eugenia's house in which Mrs. Doubtfire answers a letter from a young girl whose parents have separated, saying that no matter what arrangement families have, love will prevail. As long as it is a family that is a mom and a dad, or a mom and a dad who are taking time apart, or a mom and a dad... Who are who are divorced, or or one mom or one dad? Single parents are allowed. Foster parents or, or adopted like kids. an older brother, or um, an aunt like and just uncle kind of like, taken care of by a grandparent, a family member. Right, right. Uh, again, like an like an aunt or an uncle, and then like or like 
just like kind of like a coworker that you look up to or a neighbor or, that watches you after school an, a guy and a girl neighbor or maybe um, if you have just really, like a dog that is really responsible really <laughs> Really, what we're getting at is that love prevails as long as it is either a man, a woman, both, but never two of the same. (laughs) (laughs) I made that joke pretty fast at the ending that I was like, you could just see them skirting around acknowledging same-sex parents. Anyway, Rebecca, right off the bat, just to like get our initial feelings out of the way... Overall, how did you feel about this movie? Overall, I liked it. I mean, I cried like three times during this movie. I found it very heartfelt and having some really good messages in the movie that really Really touched me. Yeah. I think that my preconceived notion, which like I can just kind of sprinkle this throughout and then I do have a thing at the end about it, but like... I think my preconceived notion that there would be some problematic humor, specifically in regards to, like, transgender people, did pan out, in my opinion. Yeah. There was a couple of, like, explicit parts, and then, like, just in general, I don't know if I feel comfortable saying that the whole movie is transphobic or something like that. But I also don't feel comfortable saying that it just, like, gets away with it. And I, I can just feel... We're, like, in this episode, we're really playing our hand of, like, our beliefs. And I can just feel some people being like, oh, God, I don't want to deal with this. (laughs) So I'm sorry. Um, I promise we're not... Like, it's just... These are just how we feel. And so we're not pushing any agendas here. But... I personally, as just, like, who I am, can just be like, oh, yeah, I didn't find it offensive towards transgender people, but it's like, but how do people who are transgender feel? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, like, see, like, do they find it offensive? And, like, it's not one size fits all. It's pretty mixed from what I'm finding. Like, there were some who found it, like, aged really poorly and that it's pretty deeply offensive, and some who were like, it's not a big deal to me at all. I think, like, that's just not what the movie's about. And then some who were like, it's kind of a mixed bag. Mm. It's it's complicated, in my opinion. It's complicated. Yeah. Rebecca and I, when we were watching the movie, we were so caught off guard by the beginning that we forgot we even are supposed to take notes so that way we, <laughs> our conversation is organized. And we panicked and started writing a note based on the exact same moment. I don't know if I remember exactly what the moment was. Was it the beak cancer? Because I have an all-caps note right at the beginning that says BEAK CANCER. I wrote Robin Williams voice acting. Whoa. And here is something. I feel like I'm not going to have a lot of new takes in regards to Robin Williams. Because I just haven't seen a lot of Robin Williams movies. And so mm-hmm. a lot of it is just going to be me being like, whoa. Like, he's so good. Like, that performance is incredible. Yeah. Like, whoa, he's so funny. That's so compelling. You can so still compelling. share those takes because I feel like people will be, like, interested to know that, like, that's news to someone. <laughs> that, that's, it was that's, a like, news a new to me that this voice acting, like, because yeah. he's playing all of the characters in the cartoon. Yeah. And it took me a second to even realize he was playing, because he's playing the, like, bird. And then when he started playing the cat, I didn't realize it was still him. And then I was, like, in shock. Mm -hmm. And then the bird started smoking a cigarette. And I said, smoking in a kid's movie? And then it was an entire plot point. They throw so much in just that scene at us that made us go, what is this rated? 
It was appalling, quite frankly. That also, I my first note was me saying that the opening transition was very effective. I liked it a lot. Mm. It was a little fake out because it's happened before where like we open up on like a little like cartoon musical number or something. Sometimes where it cuts to like, oh, that's what's on the TV. Mm-hmm. But for it to be Robin Williams is the voice behind it and we are like watching as he like it blended so perfectly that it took me a minute to realize and I was like that was smooth that was awesome brought us right into the action right from the get-go we're introducing a lot Mm -hmm. and then I wrote down Robin Williams is absolutely showing off (laughs) I was like I wrote down in the quotes I said was this a peak for him and I, what I meant by that was that I was like, was this like a culmination mm. of like all of the kind of big voices and character stuff he did? But I'm finding, no, it was more the start of it for him. Like, not the first ever, but just like a huge, huge deal. This was literally like the number two best-selling movie of that year behind Jurassic Park. Like, it was a big deal. Whoa. It was a huge deal. Whoa, and so I, awesome. it's just like, it's crazy that this was like kind of a kickstarting point for him. Yeah. No, he was insane. We're out here, like, dropping cuss words in that opening scene, talking about cartoon smoking cigarettes. It was bonkers. Mm. I also liked something that started in this scene and then became a running gag, was just the way that every person who interacted with Daniel at some point went, actors. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it felt like not, it was like a C plot line. More of just, like, the agenda of the movie to really put out there that, like, actors are the worst kind of people. He lives in San Francisco. hmm Not a town specifically known for its voice acting scene. True. A little bit of a wild location pick for this plot. Here's my thought on that. They filmed eight thousand establishing shots in san francisco and then they were like half the budget's gone we can't change where they are truly the, the the architecture in san francisco is very specific i was catching it every time we saw like the outdoors at all we are going to either get a shot of the bay or the sh- or a shot of a 90 degree hill one or the other yeah the house was humongous for San Francisco. Huge. And also, you would think that an old lady like Mrs. Doubtfire herself decorated it. It felt like a grandma's house. It was very, very It did not, in my opinion, reek of taste. (laughs) I have Uh, that written down as a quote, like, two lines later. (laughs) It's my favorite quote from the movie. (laughs) It is not till way late for me, because I had so many... I I need the audience to know... That I was so... Again, I thought this movie was a family movie. Yeah. And it does throw me that the movie, it portrays itself like it's a family movie. But, like, the content that is in it, not even just the language, but the language alone makes it not a family movie. Yeah. And then, like, the other stuff, if it's not, like, borderline nudity or, like, very sexual discussions, it's like, this is not a family movie. But I was, it took me so long to even process that, that every time someone cussed, I just wrote down the cuss word. I, I just wrote, wrote the language, exclamation point, question mark. I feel like that was around, that was when Matilda cussed. I wrote what? 
But then, so we meet his kids, which can I just say, every one of his kids, except maybe Natalie, are just absolutely, the drip is too strong with all of them. The whole movie. I, I want all of their outfits. I stand it. Lydia knows how to wear a headband. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> she said, I have long hair that goes to my toes and I will let it flow. Natalie, I don't remember specific fits, but her. I mean, she definitely had more. Is of enough the... to overcome oh, all of it. So cute. And then Chris, I just want his wardrobe. Mat- I wrote, that was Matilda. I thought maybe for a second it was just a fun little cameo, but then she's fully one of the main characters. <laughs> yeah. So funny. She was in it a lot. He does the whole, like, he steals a petting zoo. Still unclear about that. He, like, they run into a petting zoo, and the next thing you know, they're at his house with the petting zoo. That whole scene was done so well, though. When Sally Field walks in, and she doesn't say anything. I liked a lot of the choices made there, and then their whole fight was so real. It was so intense. I cried during that scene. Rebecca cried. I made a specific note that they go over his shoulder when he he says, we love each other, right? And then she doesn't say anything. And the camera just slowly closes in on her. So effective. So effective. Better scene than Marriage Story. I've said it once. I'll say it again. (laughs) Better script than Marriage Story. It was so unexpected like right at the beginning of the movie so i was right for everyone in my preconceived notions based on what i pieced together from the song from the musical it was like he disguises himself as mrs doubtfire so that he can be around his kids i found that such a fresh take i feel that fathers so often like the the hook is that like they're a deadbeat dad Mm-hmm. And, like, they don't know how to love their kids. Mm-hmm. And I like that in this situation, he was, like, still not taking life seriously enough. But he loves his kids so much. Mm-hmm. Like, that was just... It was so nice to see such a strong father figure. In mm-hmm. the sense of, like, he... W- like, literally, it was just about them. He mm-hmm. just wanted to be around his kids again. And that he did, like, move heaven and earth to be able to spend time with them. He was working a full-time job and still working. I said something like it was through one of the like seven montages. I was like, when does he sleep? Like he really Truly. put it all into that. The the montage where he's doing the, you know, transformation into Mrs. Doubtfire mm-hmm. was very fun. The first which again, it was a very clever plan. Like his fir- the first montage was him pretending to be different nannies to like lower her standards so that way he could swoop in i think actually not sorry not to correct you but i think the first montage was all of the voices he did for the job agency clerk there were so many montages in this movie for better or for worse (laughs) that's true that one was one of my favorite ones it's that one and probably the the when he's becoming mrs doubtfire Mm -hmm. those were two of my favorite montages but he calls us the different nannies. That was a very clever idea. I would have just called as Mrs. Doubtfire. Like he like but he like He set up the whole broke her thing. spirit first. Which was one of the first bits where it was a little like I didn't love it was 
the nanny that he pretends to be where he's like, oh, I won't do boys because I used to be one. Yeah. And she's like horrified at that. Yeah. And I fully understand everybody that this movie is a product of its time. It was made in the 90s. This was a different time. That doesn't change the fact that it, I don't like it. Right. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not fully blaming them for being evil. Like, it is a little product of its time, but it's like, I still don't like it. It didn't sure. age miraculously. And that was one of the little mask slip moments of the movie for me, where it, like, they very specifically were like, they acknowledged transgender people and they were like, that's disgusting. Yeah. That's horrifying. And, like, that idea of a transgender woman wanting to be a nanny and, like, implying that it's, like, inappropriate or that it's preying on children, that little idea somewhat gets perpetuated throughout a little bit, which yeah. is the thing that I don't love. Yeah. I think that they play it up enough that I don't think that, like, uh, this is obviously not meant to be a representation of a transgender person. Right. But, like, they play into the idea of, like, there's a lot of people who just don't believe transgender people. They don't think that they genuinely feel that way or that they are the gender that they that they identify as. They yeah. think that they're doing it to get somewhere. And this movie, like, perpetuates that idea, which I don't love. Mm -hmm. So that was, like, a disappointing moment in the watch for me. I think I verbally reacted to it. Like, yeah. I didn't like that. But... When he starts to become Mrs. Doubtfire is very exciting. The character is very specific, catches on immediately. What did you think of the transformation sequence with all of the different women he becomes first? I mean, it was fun. That montage, I would say, felt the least needed hmm. for me. If it was like, sure. here's all the characters we tried to figure out who Mrs. Doubtfire was and this is what we landed on, I think I would have been able to get behind that. But it, like, all of the voices that he was doing for the different characters, and some of them were just straight-up impressions. Like, the one that would just no, was Bette Midler. Um, Not Bette Midler, it was... um The Don't Rain on My Parade? Barbara Streisand. It was Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. You no, know, you're right, you're right, you're right. I feel like it, at first, intended to be, like, how many... Like, it just t took a lot of tries to find the perfect Mrs. Doubtfire, but after matchmaker matchmaker going straight into don't rain on my parade it felt a little bit too gimmicky for me i don't know i really liked it but it was one where i think during the actual watch along i was like why are he why is he trying out these when he's literally like he already presented a british woman he already so made like, the why voice is he, yeah. why is he doing these other different voices yeah. that are like clearly not it yeah it was kind of forced in just for like the fun of it mm -hmm. but like i did have a fun time with it it reminded me of the princess diaries <laughs> my next note is about when um she caught on fire cooking which does kind of lead me to a bigger thought it was that Oh, 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 it was about all of the work that Daniel also had to do just to even, like, be Mrs. Doubtfire. Not just convincingly, but, like, actually being good for the kids, actually being, like, able to do those things was incredible. And obviously it was, like, very funny the way that it was like, haha, see, Daniel can't cook. But then he, like, went and, like, the whole montage of him getting his life together where he's, like, watching cooking shows at, like, two in the morning. Like, taking notes and learning how to cook and learning to do all of these things. It was amazing. And the 1% tip to the driver was a little bit of a blow, low blow. I stand by... I, I'm, I'm with Mrs. Doubtfire on that one. That driver was a bit of a bitch. He showed up and he was like, and the rushing fee? <laughs> like, Chill out, bro. <laughs> like, he came ready to fight already. Sure. And so I was... 
It was just such a low tip that it was very funny. I really liked, like I wrote down, I love that they took his flaw and made it very effectively his redemption in yeah. such an unexpected way. Yeah. Because his whole flaw is his big commitment to acting and that that makes him like this goofy, funny dad who doesn't ever want to take anything seriously. Mm-hmm. And then in order to be around his kids, he has to commit to a role, to an acting thing. And then to do it effectively, he has to clean and he has to cook and he has to help them with their homework. Mm-hmm. And thus he then learns how to be a more responsible parent. Yeah. And it's like, that is so uh, who came up with that? That is that so great. good. Yeah. That was so clever. I re- like it's one of those I didn't even realize until it was had already happened. I was like, "That's crazy." Yeah. Whenever he first becomes Mrs. Doubtfire is when I think the comedy of the movie takes off, because so much of the comedy of the movie for me lies in all of these just little tiny things that Robin Williams says, <laughs> that are just the little just like I swear it reeks of taste. I that's wrote my that next down. Note. That's my next the, note. He just he's. <laughs> If you didn't have the subtitles on, I don't know if you would have caught it. He just says it where he's just like, oh, did you design this yourself? It reeks of taste. (laughs) What? I'm going to say that forever. It's so good. And And so it's like, it's hard for me to be like, this was the funniest scene because I don't think any like scene was the funniest for me. It was all of those little quips that he just randomly mm-hmm. says. And you can really see that they were just letting Robin just say things. Yes. And it's so funny. Yes. But that's where I think that the comedy is really effective in the movie. But it's when they do these hijink sequences where I always think it pretty much always starts funny and then they carry it on a bit too long. And not always ending bad, but like when he brings the caseworker back to his apartment and he like is like, oh, let me go get my brother Daniel. And he runs in there and we watch the whole tr- change, which first of all, graphic. The, that was essentially nudity, what I just witnessed there. <laughs> that fat suit was very detailed. You're going to see every part of this of, of this suit that sags. You're gonna, you might as well have seen nipples on these boobs. Like, it was so intense, I couldn't believe it. And he's, and then, so it's like, okay, I saw the hijinks, and then he runs back out there, and then he's like, oh, you want my sister now? Let me go get my sister. And it's not like we watched, like, a quick little turnaround. We watched the entire thing all over again, and then he loses the mask, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and it was like, okay. The issue with the movie is that it just does that joke over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, the joke is always, like, he's a man dressed as a woman, hardy dar, and it's like, I'm not saying that the movie sucked, and I'm not saying that, like, that joke is awful. It's just more like it felt like once they landed that joke, they just kind of kept doing variations on it, and some of them were really funny, and some of them I was just kind of like, okay, like, come up <laughs> with something it. else. I I agree with you on that point, actually. I didn't really think of it. Yeah. I, though, I Well, I kind of realized it a little bit, but that was when I was writing the recap. I was like, I feel like the scenes that make up this recap is only, like, 20 minutes of the movie and then the rest is just like robin williams being mrs doubtfire i'm looking through my notes they're so random all over the scene i did literally write in my notes that striptease was in all caps graphic (laughs) i was so put off by it um something that struck me about oh go ahead 
I was going to say, was is this a convenient time to talk about the when he's cooking and his boobs light on fire? Sure. I mean, I don't know that there's really much to talk about other than I'm, I'm glad that there was at least a little bit of fire in a movie called Mrs. Doubtfire. There was doubt okay. and there was fire. That was a fun... Yeah. It was a little bit of an eye roll moment for me. It felt... Honestly, I felt like that one was pretty cheap. I was kind of like, where, why does nobody hear this? Like, he's screaming. (laughs) Why is nobody, like, running in there and then being like, why were your boobs on fire? (laughs) I thought it was funnier when he grabbed the boiling pot with two bare hands than when (laughs) the boobs caught on fire. But I'm a little bit of a sucker for some slapstick. I also, I read the headline. The headline, I only ever read up to Doubt Fire. The headline says, Police Doubt Fire was accidental. Yeah. What's happening there? <laughs> There's a full episode of, like, CSI happening in the background of this movie. Like, they could have picked any headline that included the words <laughs> Doubt and Fire to get to the name Doubt Fire. And they were like, we're going to tease something <laughs> they dramatic. They built up a whole lore what is happening i need the spinoff movie about the fire what was going on back there jeez i'm just so intrigued by it Um, okay let's talk about stew i don't have much to say about stew up front other than that i i think the only note i put about him after his intro scene i wrote down that smile was uncomfortable parentheses stewart close parentheses. It was at that end of the scene when he's leaving her office and we talked about it in the thing, in our reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His smile was weird. It was so forced. Yeah, Stuart shows up on the scene and it feels like the entire villain setup of like a guy comes in and all he cares about is Miranda, but he's not a dad. Mm -hmm. This is where Daniel rises to the occasion. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like they set up. Yeah. What are your notes on Stu so far? Uh, Miranda's, I remember Miranda's reaction to Stuart kind of threw me a little bit because he's mentioned before she breaks up, but before she divorces Daniel. And she's like, oh, Stuart, yeah, he's such a guy. And then when her boss is like, oh, Stuart's here for a meeting, she's like, starts like putting herself together. She's like so excited about it. And then when they're actually face to face, she's like very like seemingly not very interested in what. He's he's literally she's like, I think that these drapes would be really beautiful for the scene. And he's like, I think that your eyes are beautiful. And she might as well have put her hand up (laughs) and then just been like, and I think that these flowers make sense with the carpet pattern. And then he's like, and I think that you are so engaging. And she's like, listen to me, Stu. I'm not here for this hullabaloo. Like, it's just like, she like, so like, it's not like you even see her be like kind of uncomfortable with it or kind of wrestling with it. No, she's she just straight, straight up from, just like, like any way. <laughs> she had heart eyes for him before the scene. And then the scene started and she was like, we're at work, Stuart. Every other scene with Stuart and Miranda makes sense. And then that one feels like it was from one of the other cuts of the movie. It does. It was bizarre. It does. It was bizarre. We both called it out where we were like, why is she so 
against him. Awesome. <laughs> like, and, like, they try to, like, save it at the end where she's like, I'm just, I'm going through a divorce. But it's like, but that's not how she was playing it up till that line. Literally she wasn't, like, five seconds she wasn't, before like, he walks in. She wasn't, like, nervously giggling. Like. No. And it, at the end of that meet the family scene was when you and I were like, I feel like there's going to be a twist and he's, like, this terrible guy. And the movie bamboozled us. The movie bamboozled us. We fell That's for it. my issue. It's at the end of my notes. I just kind of wrote, Stu was like a red herring. Yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> what was... Because, because what happens in the end with him? Literally at the end, whenever Daniel is outed, they're suddenly bros, which is wild. He's just kind of... Wait, what? <laughs> it's like fist... At the end when Daniel gets oh! exposed, they like fist bump and they're just like... Yeah, no worries, man. We're cool. And then, like, that's... But my thing is, I'm like, it's... I don't... If To my memory, it's not like with the ending, with showing that they don't get back together, it's not like we see her with Stu either. Uh-uh. And so it's like, what was the point of Stu? I feel like we spent one too many scenes on Mrs. Doubtfire changing clothes and one or two or three too few scenes on Stuart. Because because that's where it got to me was at the restaurant whenever we are again watching full changes. There was like the one where he goes into a stall and immediately and comes out as himself, zoop. which was funny. But it was like so many of them. It's like, I don't need to see the whole process. Just yeah. give me the, the, give me the quick of it. Yeah. Like, why are we still wasting so much time on it? It's not funny at this point. Yeah. Yeah, he comes out and and it's like, yeah. It's just kind of like, what was the point of Stu then? If, like, I get that he's, like, somewhat a motivation for Daniel because he's being a father to the kids. Like, he's more of an ideal one. Mm. I don't know. It feels like he was useless overall. It's not like we see Stuart go on a journey. And, like, in the end, because there was nothing interesting about him, it's not like we see Miranda go on a journey where she's, like, accepting that she alone can be a mother to these kids. She doesn't need to add another father figure. Right. Or that it's her reckoning with that she can love again. Or that it's allowing Daniel to rise to the occasion. All of those things happen separate from Stu. <laughs> so what was the point of Stu being there? Stu felt it's more like, like the a kids concept go on a- than like an actual character. He's just a good-looking guy. He really did feel like just kind of like a foil to to Daniel. Like just a reason for Daniel to do things. And like just to rile him up sort of a deal. What are your thoughts on the whole plot of him like coming up with some good ideas in regards to the boring dinosaur segment and then, like, the way that all pans out. What are your thoughts on all of the that? The whole, like, TV station plot. The whole TV station plot for Daniel. It felt very predictable. Yeah. Like, as soon as he came up and was like, oh, blah, 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 and then that guy was like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I bet this guy owns the whole TV station. And then he did. Yeah. And then as soon as he was started talking about the show, I'm like, oh, he's going to think that he's a better co-host. And then he was like, you're such a funny guy. I'm going to remember you. And then he like yeah. saw the set and I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to go do some goofy goofy. Somebody's going to walk in and be like, we want you. You're amazing. You're the fresh new face for the show. And then literally exactly all of that happened word for word. It really felt like just a way to get Daniel a second appointment at the restaurant. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, it worked out, but... 
It's one where I do think it pays off with his character a little bit because at the beginning he's shown to have strong morals about what you're presenting to children, mm-hmm. which is ironic from this movie. But <laughs> I guess I guess it, they technically weren't presenting it to anyone under 13, but like No, it definitely fit with the character. It's just very predictable right. is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just am trying, like, I'm trying to process how it fit with his story. And I do think it kind of makes sense that it's, like, he shows to have strong morals of, like, what we're presenting to children. And because I was kind of like, why does the movie make it so that Mrs. Doubtfire becomes this eternal character he plays? And I guess because then he gets an opportunity to, like, bring, like, be, like, a Mr. Rogers type thing and bring good to children's lives yeah and like continue to act and do a character and do what he loves while also not compromising his beliefs mm-hmm. so i think it does kind of work i just don't think that it's like the main focus of the movie is more the way that being mrs doubtfire changes his parenting skills and so developing this tv subplot is like on the back burner yeah yeah i guess those are my only thoughts on that I liked the moment whenever he's, like, alone on the stage talking as all of the dinosaurs and being really goofy. It felt like a very sincere Robin Williams moment. It did. It just kind of felt sweet. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I'll talk about this because it's kind of a good segment just from the last part of just kind of talking about, like, the heartwarming, like, parts. And, like, I liked how with this Tea Time conversation, like, I thought it was just going to be... You know, like I was saying earlier, like Mrs. Doubtfire being like getting the the scoop from Miranda about how Daniel really was, what Miranda really thinks about Daniel, like getting all the inside information, like this undercover questions. And it ended up just being a really good look at showing that like Miranda was happier separated and it didn't mean that the whole thing was a mistake Mm -hmm. it didn't mean that she never loved Daniel or that they never worked together but she said something like since separating like I feel so much more like myself and I realized I wasn't myself when I was with Daniel and I thought that that was a really important part of the movie and a really important part of the message of the movie to explore and I was glad that Daniel got to see that you know because I think it kind of gave Daniel a little bit of closure on the whole thing because it wasn't Mm -hmm. you know part of the Mrs. Doubtfire was and and, uh, Daniel says this the first time she goes to pick up the kids at his apartment he's like give me another chance like please like let's just get back together but I feel like there was a definite turn in the movie where it was not any longer about like trying to get Daniel back together with Miranda but really just pursuing the like I love my kids and I want to be able to see my kids more and that was really the focus um but it came from a a more positive place of Miranda is doing better and that's okay Mm -hmm. I thought I liked the way that Miranda was portrayed overall I like that she was never in my view portrayed as like a stingy Mm -hmm. like wet blanket wife who's just like no fun like that's specifically her issue is that because of the way he's acting she doesn't get to be fun she always has to be the bad guy and like that's what she yeah that's what she takes issue with specifically and that they show her like genuinely and sincerely like growing and healing and like being a better person when Mm -hmm. he's not around I thought that this movie was very... I'm surprised this movie wasn't, like... I mean, maybe it was. I wasn't alive when it came out. But it's, like... It feels like this movie should have been more controversial than it sounds like it was. Because this is a very 
ahead of its time viewpoint mm. on divorce and mm. like the nuclear family like this was like a very i was even reading about it a little bit that it was just like i think there were people who like took issue with the fact that this movie essentially mm -hmm. says divorce is okay R like not even just like kind of it explicitly says that that's okay to walk away from each other mm -hmm. and that that doesn't and like you don't have to stay just because of the kids and to the children that doesn't mean that they don't love you like and that doesn't mean that your right. family isn't still beautiful and unique like i thought that that was very progressive and i love like i i yeah. love the way it ends i really was like okay yeah and like because he's mrs doubtfire and he like grows to love her again and they fall in love at the end I was convinced they were going to end up together at the end. And the fact that they didn't yeah, me too. was a breath of fresh air. No, I mean, I was, I was going to agree with you. I think you said it really well. I think that it was also a direction I did not see it going. As we were, like, commenting and making updated predictions with all of the commercial breaks. Like, we still thought that he was going to get the kids back, like, at the pool scene. And that's basically right before the final dinner. Yeah. And we still thought it was heading that way. But I think that, I think you're right. I think it created this nuanced conversation. And it wasn't like the divorce was easy for either of them. Like, we really saw how heartbroken Daniel was over it. Like, it wasn't like two people who can't stand each other anymore that have grown so far apart that they can't stand the sight. And then the kids dealing with a messy divorce and who gets the kids and then haha ha hijinks and comedy. Like, I think it was, you know, while being a ridiculous farce, like the, the, the big issues at heart and the big, you know, subjects that they touched on were very real and I'm sure very impactful for kids of divorce who... I mean, I don't want to, like, postulate out there, but I feel like if I was a kid of divorce... In that time period when it still... I mean, the circles that I grew up in, divorce was yeah. kind of a taboo topic. And I feel like kids of divorced parents were kind of then by proxy also a taboo topic. Like, talking about it was just kind of like a weird thing in the circles that I grew up in. So I feel like a movie like this probably had a really great effect on people who could identify with yeah. the situation. And I thought that that was really amazing. I mean, the ending obviously got me emotionally. I was a, a little puddle there mm -hmm. by the end. And that last, like, letter from the little kid, like you said, like, it was a little bit on the nose. But, like, it was, yeah, it was really, it was I really just touching. I still think it's so funny that, like, whatever her name is, that little girl wrote a letter in to essentially Mr. Rogers and was like... <laughs> what do you do when your parents are going through a divorce and they say they hate each other and you blame yourself because you feel like you're a failure to your parents? <laughs> it's like she hits Mrs. Doubtfire with just the heaviest concept on just like the end of the show little write-in thing. I'm just like, hmm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and now a letter from our listeners damn girl are you yeah. someone check in on her is she okay <laughs> i do want to talk about this is my other thing i'm so sorry if people are tired of me talking about it but this is the other scene that really felt like it was a bit direct about like transgender people was the scene where they find him, the kids find him out where you know yeah. he goes in the bathroom and sees him peeing standing up and then there's a whole bunch of dialogue of them being like, it's a he, she, 
he has junk and they're like disgusted by him and immediately the assumption is that like it's a predatory thing like they need to fight against him and then they say like whenever they like are like oh gosh it's dad like he says you don't really like wearing all that stuff do you dad like and it's like a scene where it just feels like the implications there again are at the time not meant to be like an explicit like transgender people bad but more to minimize them to like people who cross dress and that they're perverts which is explicitly said at the end when the judge is like you have fulfilled the requirements you've done a lot you've grown a lot but your unorthodox lifestyle i wrote that down i didn't like that i didn't like yeah. that it, like he might as well have said it yeah and said that like i cannot condone you exposing yeah. children to that and then is like you can't have custody of your children for that reason those were the parts of the movie where i was just kind of like this did not age very well like this feels on one level that's like a little yeah. bit less problematic it just feels a little icky in that it's like stigmatizing men who wear dresses or men who are just like not the conventional like it's just like like mm -hmm. uh, to advertise my beliefs on the podcast do what you want wear what makes you feel comfortable and what makes you feel at peace with yourself and put whatever label on yourself feels correct for you if you're a guy who wears dresses that doesn't mean that you're transgender and if you're a transgender woman you don't have to wear dresses like it's just like do whatever makes you feel the most yourself in this world and so like some of those things just felt a little dated but it's like the people who wrote this script are like saying a specific thing i mean i definitely think that there was like the lines that you mentioned like are by today's standards yeah offensive you know what i mean and whether it was the like common popular thought at the time or not it's still offensive in that regard i feel like they had already done a good job of establishing exactly what was going on i feel like they had already established a pretty good job of like Obviously, the reason that Daniel was doing it was to see his kids, and he was an actor. And so the, like, like, I feel like the reasons were very clear, and it was already very clear that there, it, it wasn't about, you know, Daniel being transgender. And so, because everything had already been established, those extra jokes just kind of felt like a little bit of mud in your face, um, or like, you know, rubbing because it had already been established we didn't need those extra jokes about it and so it's a it's a complicated thing and that's probably gonna be like maybe not on this scale but like that's probably gonna be a thing throughout a lot of the movies we're gonna watch because a lot of them are older movies and so sure. like the leads of very few of the movies that we have on our schedule are people of color because that just wasn't in the media quite as much and and those that were was the something big... that i noticed about this movie i was like there are no people of color in this movie yeah yeah there was like that one black kid at the birthday party at the very beginning mm -hmm. i don't i don't want it to sound like ju just because i'm saying that i think that there was some problematic ideas being presented about like transgenderism or that, like, some of the jokes was, like, didn't land and went on a bit too long. There's many, there's too many montages. Like, that, yeah. those are all some, like, big issues I have. So it makes it sound like, wow, I just really didn't like it. I really did have a good time with it. I really did like mm -hmm. the movie. It was more just, like, there was a couple of issues that kept repeating. And it's one yeah. where it's also, like, I can simultaneously be like, I just don't think that that was the most effective thing. But I had a good time with it. Like... 
I had a good time with Stu's scenes, even though when I'm like, I get to the end of the movie, I'm like, what was the point of (laughs) Stu? I feel like we're getting to the end of the main discussion. Um, I don't have, like, I'm on on my straggling thoughts thing, which I have several quotes I want to read. I've waited years and years to hear the context of the help is on the way, dearie! It was, yes. worth, it, was, it was worth it. It was a good scene. I liked it. I'm so glad it was that moment. I thought it was just going to be some random scene in the house, and I'm so glad it was at the restaurant while somebody was choking to death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the stakes could not have been higher. His idea of foreplay was, Effie, brace yourself. <laughs> this yep. movie was vulgar. <laughs> this movie was very vulgar. The way that Mrs. Doubtfire frequently called Miranda a harlot and a Jezebel for the, her clothing choices when going out with Stu. She said, I won't be held responsible for your virtue and dipped after that conversation about the dress. I'm telling you, it was those little one-liners that were so funny from Robin Williams. A run by fruiting. Which was a fully <laughs> improvised line by Robin Williams, fully invented by him. Can we talk about that pool scene for a second? Because yeah. they walk into the club, there's like a bunch of comments made about the bikinis, and then they zoom in on Stu, who's like, hi guys, and then does like a triple backflip off of the diving board. How long was he standing there? Just like, guys, it's going to be so cool. She's this hot babe. She's got kids. She's going to show up and I'm going to do a bunch of flips. And they're just I'm like, I'm just going to wait up here. Okay, you and he's can like, go no, no, no. Me. They're not, they're not here yet. You can go before me. You can go before me. And then he dives in, he comes out with a helmet Dude, of hair his hair and then a towel appears out of nowhere. I swear, and then, but then he's inviting them. He's like, let's go back to the pool. Why is he in a towel? <laughs> Why does he even need it then? <laughs> His hair, I was caught up. I was distracted by it. The way that, like, I get that, like, when you go underwater and you come up, it's slicked back. It is so slicked back. Like, there's no hair crossing over the next. It looked like a freaking <laughs> yeah. helmet. It looks cartoon hair. They said, we've got Pierce Brosnan. He cannot be looking a mess at the pool. Do you have any hot takes to present before we move on to parental guidance? I did not prepare any hot takes. I prepared two, and we don't have to get into either of them because I've basically been saying them. Oh, okay. So the first one, as written, says, Stu was useless and not even attractive. That's a hot take (laughs) that I have. Sorry to Pierce Brosnan. I was trying to see it the whole movie, and I was just like, this man is just not even attractive. I'm sorry. I can tell that, like, he thinks he's attractive. Yes, he carries himself Pierce Brosnan, please keep listening to our podcast. I don't Pierce Brosnan, please, this this isn't us. I don't mean to disrespect you. This is, I'm just in a mood, okay? I didn't mean to be rude. I'm, I'm sure other, I'm sure lots of people find you attractive. It just, to me, feels like if you remove Stu from the plot, it removes some hijinks and some jokes, but it doesn't change the character development or plot progression, like, at all. He, I guess, he is the reason for the dinner at the end, but, I mean, that's an easy fix. But even then, anybody could have hosted that. So, are you ready to move on to uh, parental guidance? 
I am ready. Okay, here we go. Uh-oh, might want to skip ahead or grab your parents because this next section requires some parental guidance. Welcome to Parental Guidance, everyone! This is the part of the show where we talk about why we weren't allowed to watch this movie, if that was the case for us. Not all of the movies will fall under this category, but uh, for me, this one definitely does. So I definitely have some thoughts about that. Okay, go ahead. First of all, the language. I feel like that's going to be a disclaimer for most of the movies that we watch. I still couldn't believe it. Yeah. And when I was trying to tell coworkers how shocked I was, I had to stipulate. I was like, I needed to be clear. It's not that I was uncomfortable with the language. I'm, I was like, we're literally planning to watch Wolf of Wall Street. It was just so unexpected in this type of movie. Yes. Yes. Especially when Matilda, I was like, there is no way I would have been allowed to watch a movie where a little kid said a cuss word, much less a movie with any swearing in it whatsoever. So that was kind of an obvious, a given. The second Mm -hmm. reason I think that I probably wasn't allowed to watch it, and again, I don't know if this was a movie that my parents like watched, saw, review, read about it, and then was like, no. But I do remember that one of my friends, some good family friends of ours, had watched it and they were telling us about it and they asked if I'd seen it and I said no. And they were like, oh, well, do you want to watch it? And I went and asked my mom and my mom said no. So I do know that there was like a very clear situation Mm -hmm. in my mind where mom was like, you're not allowed to watch that. And I think that honestly, the whole message of the movie would have kind of put this movie out of bounds for us. I think the normalizing of a divorce in of itself would have been tricky territory but especially because like the message was like it's okay and in fact we're going to show you the positives of how working through it and like creating a situation that separates the parents is good for everyone involved really would have put it out of bounds for me yeah I'm in a unique situation of, like, as a child of divorce, I don't think that depicting a divorce happening through a story would have been out of bounds. But I think, yeah, where it goes over the edge is that, like, if anything says that, like, divorce can be great. Like, it can be the right move and the best move and not in a heartbreaking way. (laughs) Like, it can just be what's best Mm -hmm. for everyone. And yeah. the fact that it, like, in a way advocates for it, I don't know if yeah. if my parents would have been super into. And then mm-hmm. it's super, yeah, the language that is, like, m- so much throughout. The, like, sexual humor to it of, like, talking about oh, boobs. Oh, yeah, all the crude the, like, jokes. The, yeah. like, seeing the nude suit, the crude yeah. jokes. I just don't think any yeah. of it would have fly. Flute, and even it was okay. I do think, like, I don't have a specific memory of being told no. I feel like I remember seeing trailers for it and just assuming, based on the fact that you could tell it was a man just as a woman, I was like, that's not going to fly here. That's not going to be okay. Oh, I completely forgot that that was even, like, I forgot about that. That also, yeah, I'm sure, forget- was a huge... <laughs> Honestly, I don't know that my parents yeah. even knew that it was about divorce necessarily but the premise alone of a man dresses up as a woman and that is funny and that is a main plot point 
Even if we watched it, like, even if we got that far, I think within the first, like, five or ten minutes, we would have turned it off. Which I yeah. can understand on a level. Like, I don't think this movie, whether, what, regardless of what you believe is super appropriate for kids, I think the PG-13 rating is apt. I think it, yeah, I agree. Which I agree. is, again, strange, because the subject matter, the themes, the way it all plays out is very family-oriented. But, like, a lot mm-hmm. of the content is not. Um... So it's another case of, like, Fight Club where I'm kind of like, the reason I couldn't watch it is just the movie. The whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of those where maybe there was a time, like, at the video store where I was like, oh, I want to rent this one and was told no. I just don't remember it if that happened. All right. I guess that concludes our parental guidance issues. Let's get into our thoughts and prayers. When times get tough, we offer thoughts and prayers. 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 So, how many thoughts and prayers did you come prepared with? Four. I have four. Okay. I think some of them might be the same. I don't know. I went off the rails with a few of these. The second. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I will go first. First of all, just thoughts and prayers for the economy of the United States. We really went <laughs> we, we really went from a effectively single income household being able to be that humongous mansion in the middle of San Francisco okay. city to now I can't even imagine how many millions of dollars a year you would have to make to afford that house. And it he was just He gets that big her. old apartment while he's unemployed. That apartment was like four times the size of my current apartment. And he, and he, there, that whole scene where they were like, well, just go to the job office and order yourself a job and we'll see what happens after that. And, like, yeah, uh-huh. he went through this whole, like, they judged him because he was an actor. But, effectively, he just went and signed up for a full-time job and got one. I, so, my th- first thoughts and prayers is, um, thoughts and prayers to victims of Run by Fruitings who, like Stu, are not taken seriously. <laughs> because that man does not do any sins in the whole movie. He's totally nice. He's totally fine. And then he just calls Daniel a loser and he gets decked with an avocado. <laughs> just absolutely nails him in the head. And then we hear about all of these run by fruitings where it's like, how many other stories are being untold? I want, I'm, thoughts and prayers to the victims of run by fruitings. It's always on foot. It's always on foot. <laughs> There's no drive-by fruitings. It's run-by, and it's usually from bitter kitchen staff, it sounds like. My next one is thoughts and prayers for not only that little girl who wrote into the show, but for her parents who just got straight up exposed for not only divorcing, but ruining her life, sending her into existential crisis as a five-year-old and putting her in therapy for the rest of her life those parents got doxxed on mrs eugenia's show she was the original t channel she (laughs) started it there 
that girl lives for the drama and the we all view know it. could never. The- <laughs> Those bitches wish they were Ephigenia. <laughs> I swear. So my next thoughts and prayers is thoughts and prayers to Avengers Endgame. What we thought was the most ambitious crossover in history was actually living in the shadow of Robin Williams playing the role of all cinema. Uh, (laughs) He cameos in this movie as, like, every person that exists. (laughs) And Endgame could never reach a level of art that high. (laughs) So... They have Robin Williams as the matchmaker from from that one play. They have... Uh, yeah, I wasn't confident, so I just didn't say it. They have Robin Williams as Barbara Streisand. They have Robin Williams playing the, funny girl. the entire cast of a cartoon. Of I mean, Tweety, this of was a the clear, most... Of a clear Tweety Bird spinoff, or knockoff. Clear... They truly cast Robin Williams as every human. And Endgame could never do that. Robin Williams could do Endgame, but Endgame could not do Robin Williams. That's what I have to say. My next thoughts and prayers is thoughts and prayers for victims all over San Francisco of the San Francisco arsonists. Just spreading absolute mayhem. Throughout that entire city. I'm almost surprised that that yes. dinner scene didn't end with the San Francisco arsonist burning the restaurant down. That was almost one of my thoughts and prayers. We would have had the same one. I was going to say thoughts and prayers to the victims of that fire. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's the one that I thought was would be the same. San Francisco arsonists. That is so funny. I... Yeah, I mean, it was that was a troubling headline that we never got any sort of closure the cam- on. The and camera just was never focusing that. If you look closely in the background of any city scene, um, everything's on fire. So uh, Okay, here's a hot take. The role of Stu could have been replaced by an entire subplot following the arsonist and it could have ended with because i feel like the only reason Stu had to be there was so that daniel could give him the heimlich and his mask could come off but what if daniel had tackled the san francisco arsonists in the street and mrs doubtfire saved the city but was and exposed her melts melts down it's daniel my next thoughts and prayers goes out to the original Mrs. Doubtfire, who was run over by a truck. Immediately replaced by a copy, but she will never be the original. That copy was just ready to go. He knocked on the door and held up the smushed face, and his brother just <laughs> handed him a new one. Like, he had answered the door with the mask in hand. It felt so wild that they didn't show us, like, a, that felt like a natural moment for that movie to do a montage. I feel like the movie should have been And they were just like, we just, ha- we just have to show that he got a new mask. Let's move on, guys. Like, they didn't want to talk about it. Thoughts and prayers for Mr. Sprinkle's demotion to Mailman after running that show as the host for 25 years. (laughs) A third spinoff that is deserved. 
that man became, he's, he becomes the arsonist. <laughs> oh my god. This movie is there Inception. Is a lot of subplots that it's we a time didn't know loop. <laughs> I fear that people would get bored with our very serious discussion that lasts for an hour and not make it to this part of the podcast that is lunacy. It's ridiculous. Okay. So my thoughts and prayers, they go out to, I think, one of the biggest victims of the movie. My thoughts and prayers go out to the pansexual bus driver who deserves love. <laughs> yes! Yes! He is given only two scenes in the whole movie where they make it incredibly clear that this man is about what is on the inside only, that he would love Mrs. Doubtfire for who she is. And they, there is no reason for that scene other than, I guess, comedy. But to me, it's just demonstrating that this man loves any and everyone. And he doesn't care that she has hair on her legs. And, and then... That bus driver deserves happiness! <laughs> never see him again for, like, the whole movie. I hope that he is happy with someone. My pansexual king, the yeah. bus driver. <laughs> that... Most wholesome that felt like the most the fitting conclusion. Movie. Let's move on to the best part, worst part. For those who listened, thank you. And for those who skipped right to the end, we get you. Here it is. Best part, worst part. Best part, worst part. Welcome to the best part, worst part segment. Nothing has happened before this. We just jumped straight into the segment, guys. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> This is the part of the show where we designate for each of us what the best part of the movie is and the worst part of the movie is. We try to keep it as concrete as possible, picking like a specific moment or like thing that happened rather than like a theme. And then we cannot pick the same part. And so I didn't prepare a second worst part. So hopefully we didn't pick the same one because otherwise I'm going to have to think for a while. I know we did not. I know we didn't. I don't know if ours are going to match up at all. I know they are not. I already know. Okay, let me go ahead. Should we start with our worst part? So that way we end on a high note? Sure. Okay, so my worst part was him being found out by the kids. Just because it's probably the most uncomfortable moment with the, like, weird digs at cross-dressing and transgender people. But also, it doesn't feel like it's useful or goes anywhere at all. It really doesn't go anywhere. What was the point of them finding out? Especially because it's not like it, it's not like then they're in on it and helping him. Yeah. Like, it's not like it helps them learn to see him in a new light. If anything, it takes away from the fact that they now know Mrs. Like, it, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like it detracts slightly. Yeah. That they know that he's Mrs. Doubtfire and they're not continuing to, like, learn from her. Mm. So that was probably the worst part of the movie for me. Gotcha. What? I don't know what yours is. Mine, I definitely took a little bit of a lighter approach, not going to be honest. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Ooh, after that downer, for me, the worst part was that freaking musical montage. The one where he was matchmaker. The one where he was... They look into the camera. I... I was over it. That was an eye roll moment for me. 
not that that takes a lot for me, but that it took me out of it. I I remember thinking like, how long is this going to go on? Which is never a good thing to think during a comedy. That's kind of like the kiss of death to comedy. I did not yeah. like that bit. I didn't think it was funny. I, th- I thought it was... If the whole movie was, like, full of references and, like, a big, like, pop culture homage, that would have been one thing, homage, but because it was just that one moment, it really felt like a gag, it really felt like a gimmick, and I thought it was the literally the worst part. Wow. So, my best part of the movie was the ending, like, the last bit where it's showing specifically like that whole last scene just showing that they yeah. didn't get back together and yeah. the ki- and like now he has visitation rights to the kids and that whole ending monologue i think is just so beautiful and mm-hmm. such a like fresh take that i was not expecting from this movie and it really touched my heart what was your best part my main one i feel like is a little bit of an unorthodox choice for me the best part was that scene where they argue in the beginning after the birthday party oh i get it i feel like the way that it depicted a a very common thing of two people growing apart and just not being right for each other like i felt like there was a lot of care taken in that scene even in just that three minute conversation really told the story of of their relationship and i think it yeah. really displayed the heartbreak for sure because it was the surprise on his part but it also wasn't an easy conversation for her it wasn't her slamming the door and being like you're a loser and i hate you and i'm walking out like it was truly a very difficult conversation that i thought was very moving i mean the like real punch in the gut was the kids hearing the whole thing but i just felt like the scene was so well done um and it just like told this heartbreaking story that it really set those stakes very high for daniel um and it made everybody's point of view very clear around the situation and i thought that it was a really great setup for the rest of the movie that was the best part for me I feel at the end here, it's appropriate for us to bring this up. And we have other Robin Williams movies on the docket, too. So it's not like this is our one chance to, like, discuss it a little bit. But obviously, Robin Williams is no longer with us. I uh, want to make it clear that I was upset at that news. But it didn't hit me the way that it did hit so many people. Because he wasn't, like, my hero growing up. Because I had only seen, like, two Robin Williams movies. And I was like, he was fine. They were good movies. This isn't resonating with me. The the, the weight of this loss. Sure. And now that we're going back and seeing some of his more iconic movies, because I know we have Dead Poet Mm. Society on the docket as well. So I'm excited to watch that. Like, it was a little emotional almost to just, like, see all of the, like, joy and laughter that this man was bringing to the world. And I know that he, like, I know that his, like, from what we know, like, his struggles weren't getting as intense until closer to 2014. But still to just, like, know all of the great, amazing things he was bringing to this world and for him to not get to be around to see all of the people who appreciate him so. And to for him to not get to end on a higher note than he did for him to end on a such a low note in such a such despair is just so heartbreaking to me 
I wanted to take a moment on the podcast to like acknowledge that that happened and that like I I feel like I got a little bit of what we lost by watching this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I would pretty much just be echoing what you said. I was in a very similar position. The only movie I had seen Robin Williams in was <laughs> Night at the Museum. I'm really glad that like we're watching these movies because I feel like something that is just said is like Robin Williams was an American treasure. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Robin Williams was iconic. Robin Williams was this, this, and this. And since I have seen Goodwill Hunting, so I have gotten an inkling a little bit of sort of that, that deeper bit of who Robin Williams was as an actor. I feel like it's wonderful and I'm really happy that I'm getting to experience his movies now and, you know, in it's late, but I'm I'm excited to to see it, and I'm really glad that even if it is you know past, it's I think it's something that has lasted and is iconic for a reason, and mm-hmm. and I'm glad that we're able to appreciate it as as adults. I also I just thought of this, and I want to say this not like this is a very fun podcast, but this is also a podcast where Rebecca and I are enjoying movies the way we enjoy them, and so sometimes I might just get a bit emotional. Okay. But it really watching watching oh my god watch I'm gonna bring something up almost as traumatic which is when my brother died two years ago I I, like this just made me think of that in that something I've learned through grief um also fun fact guys my brother died two years ago Um, it was a he was almost thirty it was a car accident and he was my older brother and. I've learned so much about what grief truly is and what it's like and how it feels since then, obviously. And I have a few tattoos in honor of him, one of them being on my arm that says, the rest is confetti. It's a quote from The Haunting of Hill House. And basically it's talking about how when a person dies, regardless of what you believe about the afterlife, when a person dies, it's not that they go away, but they scatter into all of these pieces then that are then sprinkled over your life and your relationship with them changes. And I feel that to be true in that, like, I see... My brother's name was was Jared. And I see more of him now in, like, one of my nephews. I see his... Like, I see his smile in Ryan, my nephew, more than I did before. Or I see some of us reflecting him in the way that we're crazy with our nephews. Or in a movie that I loved or in a song that I listened to with him or in a way that we talk about movie quotes. And I see more of him in my brothers than I ever did before. And it's like, there's all of these pieces of him and it resonates with me where it's like, when a person dies, you, they're still so present for us in the impact that they had in the beliefs they held while they were here in the videos you have of them in the podcasts that they're on i'm what i'm leading up to is that i feel that with watching this movie because robin williams left this world and has this beautiful legacy behind him where he is still so present for us and i think that that is such that must be such a joy for his friends and loved ones who get to cling to those things. And I think even for people in which Robin Williams was yeah. so special for them just personally, even if they never met him, 
what a beautiful thing to have him still exist with us through these wonderful, funny memories and, and the joy that he brings us in those moments. I think I see that now more than I would have before Jared passed away. Yeah. That, like, I think it sounds cheesy and just like a thing to make you feel better. But then I think when you experience it, you really see the way that the pieces of that person are still around me right now. It's like, I get that Jared's gone, but like, I experience him still. I still learn about him in ways. And like, I feel such a similar way about like Robin Williams and that like, he is gone. There is no changing that. There is, there is no like, it's like, I can feel him in this space, but it, but it is like all of these pieces of his legacy and impact and what he wanted to do with his life still exist and they still go on. And I think that that's really beautiful. And I yeah. I really yeah. appreciate that he got the chance to lay out this legacy that, like, it's not like the thing that he's remembered for is suicide. The thing he's remembered for is all of these beautiful things. And I just, I, I really, as someone who has not been a Robin Williams stan, I, like, I'm really touched by that and I really appreciate getting to... Like, it feels like an honor to get to go through them now. That's just, like, what a life that, like, that life (laughs) is still happening in a way. I just think that that's really awesome. You guys couldn't see Rebecca, but Rebecca, I, like, started talking about Jared and Rebecca broke down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We said Mrs. Doubtfire is the episode where we get real, guys. (laughs) Nothing. Alien back. is when we're going to unpack trauma. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. If you would like us to skim past now, Rebecca, do you feel that Mrs. Doubtfire was um worth the hype? Was it worth the wait? Personally, for me, this doesn't mean I didn't like the movie, but mm. I think that it was overhyped for me. The way that people act when you say Mrs. Doubtfire, I think the response was a little bit overhyped for me. It set my expectations a little bit too high. I think that Robin Williams was very surprising and, like, shattering of expectations in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways, but not in the ways that it was hyped up for me. So I did enjoy the aspects that I didn't know about a lot, but... Was it worth the hype? I think it did fall a little bit short. I think part of that is that we're watching it 30 years later. And so, and because of that product of its time, it kind of chips away at it a little bit. And then worth the wait? I'm glad I'm watching it as an adult. And I think that it's not a movie for kids. But I think I could have handled this as a teenager. So I guess kind of a mixed bag on the worth the wait. This doesn't mean that I didn't cry literally at least two, if not three times during it. Like it touched my heart and I really enjoyed it. I think it was worth the hype for me. I think what, what makes it worth the hype wasn't necessarily the comedy. I think that the comedy is actually not what makes it worth the hype. It was more, I was so surprised by the themes and the messaging and I was so impressed by them and I like liked them that I think that that edges it up to the hype a little bit for me. Weirdly enough, I don't know if it was like worth the wait. I feel like for it to be like, oh gosh, like finally I saw this movie 20 years later. It's like, it has to be like a really like tight, cohesive, mm-hmm. like smash hit. 
And this one has, it feels a little bit like a movie where, you know, they had a lot of improv footage and they put together kind of a movie. It feels a little sloppy at parts. It feels like they get a little too confident in their bits. Um, Again, emphasize for the listeners, that's not saying I hated it. I had a really fun time with it. Thought it was very funny. A joy to see Robin Williams. And I really liked the theming of it. So it was worth the hype for me. Correct. So that's how I that. felt on it. But, but you know what? That's what this podcast is. It is just hard-hitting facts and we do not hold back. So what you will not find on this podcast is opinions. We are all about <laughs> facts only. <laughs> not a single opinion to be seen. We're presenting you with what we like to call the truth. Please come for us in the comments. Tell us how our correct opinions you don't agree with. Expose yourself as having less than ideas about the movies that we have seen. I love hearing people disagree with facts. I think it's humorous. (laughs) I also, until you guys get to know us better, I just have to ruin the joke and just be like, to be clear, we're full of shit. Uh, we're not serious. We, this is not how we feel about anything. But you can find us on pretty much any social media. Not Pinterest yet. We're working on it. But you can Pinterest, find us. We on... are in a legal battle for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna go snag it on Pinterest right now, just because Stop. you said that. <laughs> but while she does that, you can find us on um, Instagram at Late to the Watch Party. TikTok at late to the watch party or Twitter at late the number two watch party because they have our a name is still late to the watch party, but our handle is late to watch party. And here's what else you guys can do if you really want to interact with us. You can either send us an email at late to the watch party at gmail.com or if you have the anchor app, which is what we produce our podcasts through, you can get on the anchor app and leave us a voice message. Just search for late to the watch party on anchor.fm if you don't have the app. And you can leave us a voicemail, essentially. We can listen to it and get your feedback, interact with you a little bit, get your thoughts on it. Um, we would love if you just rate and review us. It really helps get the word out there about our podcast. Rebecca, anything to add? Did you just successfully snag Late to the Watch Party on Pinterest? That easy, really. I'm telling you, we have got We're something. telling them in episode two that we're trying to snag things, so someone's going to be like, ha, I got MySpace. Whatever, you, you can have MySpace. If you if you still use MySpace, I you know what? I hope you feel proud of yourself for using MySpace because you are so out of touch with the current world that wow. you won't even you won't you don't I can't even speak to how how much I don't care about that. Wow. Bye. Bye. It's going to be my birthday over this excursion of yours, and that's the end of my sentence. Yes, because your birthday is on June 4th. No! (laughs) Because your birthday is on June 2nd. There it is! You just said that out of nowhere. No one asked you to prove yourself, and then you did it bad. (laughs) I was going to take a stab in the dark. I was very confident about that one.
Thanks for revealing my birthday to everyone. Okay, everybody. Now they can hack into all of my stuff. Everybody go dox Jamin. Um, that's his password to everything. It's just his own birthday. My password to everything is... <laughs> and I feel powerful because I can just edit that out. <laughs> I still have the same password that I've been using since I was like 11 years old. It's either that one or it's... Stop! Not the Hunger Games! Oh, I was too into the Hunger Games. I haven't it was seen the Hunger Games. Are we going to watch that on here? I know, it's on our... It's on our it's on our list. It's on our list for next year. Yeah, guys, you're not prepared for the way that we have scheduled out movies through February so far. We're not taking any recommendations. <laughs> we got it locked down, guys. <laughs> this is not open for discussion. Oh, we are booked <laughs> and blessed. 